electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Today on our podcast, the NFL called out. Ex-head coach Brian Flores is suing the league and three teams alleging racial discrimination. CNBC's sports reporter Jabari Young on the sports and the suits legacy. This is the stage one of a very long fight. It can get to a point where, you know, you start to see more coaches join in. And if that's the case, that can mean trouble for the NFL. Plus, digging into another controversy, the Spotify Joe Rogan saga with Yale lecturer and journalist Joanne Lipman. I think the real problem that we come down to is what is Spotify? And this is a problem that goes well beyond Joe Rogan. Other stories on our radar, Elon Musk's infamous 420 tweet is back in the news and Alphabet's huge quarter plus its upcoming stock split may prompt a market rejigger. The problem is that everybody is now a tech company, don't you think? Yeah. It's Tuesday, February 2nd, 2022. Day one of a lot more winter. Stupid groundhog. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Andrew Ross Sorkin. Joe's off again today. Today's Groundhog Day, but it does not feel like Groundhog Day today at all, given that it's like it, it was like Groundhog Day for the last two weeks. In that oh, just in terms of same week, day, same same story once same again. Same day, same thing. You wake up. Same story in the market. It's red on the screen. It's the same story. The Fed is doing this. Today is like a totally different situation. Maybe this is a good sign that the groundhog won't see his shadow today, won't get scared back in, and we won't get another six weeks of winter, at least in the markets. We can hope for that. One of the things changing that Groundhog Day narrative is this, the shares of Alphabet, because they are soaring this morning. Google's parent company earning $30.69 in the fourth quarter, beat expectations of $27.34. Revenue grew 32%, also beating estimates by a wide margin. And ad revenue came in at $61.24. I'm sorry, I can't see $61. $61.24 billion. Uh, that was up 33% from the same period a year ago. The company also announced a 20-for-1 stock split that will take effect in July. Now, that sparked some immediate speculation about its possible inclusion potentially in the Dow. And obviously, when you start to split the stocks, you get into a whole debate about really whether splitting the stock actually matters, whether it's just a mathematical situation, whether it's financial engineering. But Nonetheless, a lot of people very happy this morning. Well, I think the speculation about whether it would be included in the Dow is the big deal because there are so many index funds that would have to buy it to copy the Dow. Um, And that's probably why you see the big surge. Obviously, good numbers all the way across the board. But if if Alphabet were included in the Dow, that would automatically mean a new class of buyers just trying to track the Dow's performance. And that probably explains the 10.6% jump. I guess the big question would be, who would it replace? Which company would it replace in the Dow? You know, 
you could take your pick. I don't know who, who, who don't you like these days. Well, it would have to be a technology I mean, presence if you're including additional technology. I, I assume it would also be some consumer that comes into this, but you'd assume that it would be targeting one of the, the Dow components that has a heavy focus on technology. Right, but who, but who, but the problem is that everybody is now a tech company, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, sort, of, that's sort of the thing. I don't know who you'd, would you take IBM off your list? I don't know. I don't know how they would I mean, size that up, but I, I mean, guess potentially. But it's a different type of business, though. It is. That's more of a, an enterprise-style yeah. business. I don't know. I'm just looking through uh, who you would remove. I think you're going to keep Salesforce if you're staying in tech. I don't know. I might vote for IBM. I know the folks at IBM won't like, that, like, yeah. like to hear that. Right. Well, or, or how do you feel about Cisco. I mean, that's a good question, but you're right. It's a different business from that, too. I mean, routers and kind of following the, the guts of things versus more of a consumer angle. Cloud computing, obviously huge, too. But um, it's something to think through. about, and that's where the speculation is really going to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a fun little game to play, I guess. It is. But it's really Parlor not, it's not fun in games because there's a lot of money riding on it. Right. I'm sure other companies are thinking, hey, don't look here. We want our spot secured. PayPal shares are plunging this morning. Earnings of $1.11 a share came in just a penny shy of estimates. Revenue beat, but the current quarter earnings forecast of $0.87 cents a share was well short of what the street was looking for. The street had been looking for $1.16. And then the guidance for the full-year revenue growth was also disappointing. Um, the CEO, Dan Shulman, told CNBC that eBay's transition away from PayPal to its own payment system is hiding some of the underlying strength of PayPal's business. Shulman also said inflation weighed on consumer spending and supply chain issues hurt the cross-border payments, especially out of China. But that, that's interesting. The idea that inflation is actually hitting consumer spending, that's the first time that I recall any big company kind of talking about that, because to this point, the consumer seems like it's been incredibly resilient. And I just wonder where, where geographically they're, they're starting to see that and why they think that is. I thought that was a fascinating point. The other thing, not raised in this, in, in, in this quarter, but something that I'm starting to think about is, you know, as there becomes a larger discussion around digital dollar, Mm -hmm. what that ultimately does to a lot of the fintech companies, the PayPals, the Stripes of the world that were actually capturing some of that margin. This goes to the credit card companies as well, of course, but PayPal is really sitting in the middle of that. And then what happens if there really is a digital dollar? I assume that a lot of that margin gets compressed as, as sort of just a, a long-term potential headwind. Perhaps, but know. that's probably but, why you've seen them moving into so many other businesses. Um, as, as a way to kind of make up for some of that, too. We will see. Meantime, we're going to uh, talk about Elon Musk because this is a fascinating other story. Uh, defending his, quote, funding secured tweet in a new filing in a California federal court viewed by the New York Post, Musk now claims that Saudi Arabia had agreed to fund a 2018 buyout of Tesla. He lays out his version of events leading to this tweet on August 7th, 2018, to bring everybody back in the time machine he says, am considering taking Tesla private at $420 funding secured. I remember that moment as if it was yesterday because I remember looking at Twitter and thinking, really? Now, Musk said his discussions with the Saudi Arabia Sovereign Wealth Fund had led him to believe that funding to take Tesla private was secured. And as a result, when he tweeted that, he was not defrauding investors. In the wake of that tweet, the SEC charged Musk with fraud, leading to a $20 million settlement, his stepping down as chairman of Tesla, and a requirement that his tweets be vetted 
by company lawyers. The filing came as part of a class actions lawsuit by Tesla shareholders who had said that their stock rose about 13 percent after that tweet, you might imagine, uh, but then, of course, plunged in the immediate aftermath. Of course, since that tweet, Tesla shares are up more than 1,200 percent. So, uh, of course, it makes the lawsuit uh, a bit more complicated. I do believe he yeah, made like that a similar defense. See that from here. <laughs> uh, I, I do when, believe he made a similar defense claim to the SEC at the time. And of course, he did. He, he did settle. So I don't know. I was and thinking I, about I, that too. A twenty million dollar fine for him. The That's SEC, like, and I imagine the, the SEC looked at that world. at the time and said, you know. Uh, you may think that you have the funding secured, but that is not a, an, an actual contract. That is not uh, some kind of document that says that this is like an, you know, a signed, right. sealed and delivered thing. Right. And so it's one thing to have an email or some other kind of document, even communique from someone saying, you know, I'm interested in doing this or we're planning to do this with you. That's different than actually having an agreement. Yes. Um at the time, it was a pretty big deal, a wild stock move long before the company was worth $420. But again, looking back to 420, it's like that and $20 million for Elon Musk is nothing. Next on Squawk Pod, ex-head coach for the Miami Dolphins suing the NFL and three NFL teams for racial discrimination. The big green picture with CNBC's sports business reporter, Jabari Young. This is a more systemic issue. How do you change the thinking of the people who are doing the hiring, which is the owners? What got them to bend over in St. Louis, a $790 million lawsuit? What got them to Jerry Jones to kneel? We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Stand Andrew by. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Becky Quick. Joe is off today. A bombshell lawsuit in the NFL. Brian Flores, who was fired as the head coach of the Miami Dolphins last month, filed a class action lawsuit against the NFL and three of its teams, accusing them of racial discrimination. Flores alleges that the NFL is racially segregated and, in his words, managed much like a plantation charging that its 32 owners, none of whom are black, profit from the labor of its players, 70 percent of whom are African-American. The NFL is denying Flores' claims and says it plans to fight the suit. 
Among the other allegations in the lawsuit, Flores said that Dolphins owner Stephen Ross offered to pay him $100,000 for every loss during his first season because he wanted the club to tank so it could secure the top draft pick. The suit says that Ross pressured Flores to recruit a prominent quarterback in violation of the league's tampering rules. And when Flores refused, he was cast as, quote, the angry black man who was noncompliant and difficult to work with, resulting in his termination as head coach. Flores also alleged that he learned last week in a text exchange with Patriots coach Bill Belichick that the New York Giants have moved forward in hiring Brian Dable, who is white, as head coach before Flores had his interview with the team. Currently, only one head coach in the NFL is black. It's a, it's a remarkable lawsuit. You know, you look through some of the, the commentary this morning, probably, uh, and we'll see, uh, a challenging suit of uh, to win, yeah. the 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 text though the the Bill Belichick texts are real or it, it appears to be real, um, and really raises questions about the Rooney Rule, which of course is a rule that the NFL put in place, and by the way, a lot of other companies have put in place uh, to try uh, to 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 help diversify uh, their staffing, which is to say that for every job. Uh, there is an, a, a, at least an, an effort and an interview to be had uh, for, uh, quote unquote, diverse candidates. And so here you have this situation where they've effectively picked the person they want who is white. At least that's what it appears to be the case from these text messages. And yet they, they haven't even interviewed uh, Flores. He's then being interviewed almost after the fact, potentially at least he's arguing to, to, to be compliant with the, the Rooney rule. So right. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but it, it does raise questions. And obviously, there's been lots of questions about race, uh, specifically in sports, but um, maybe especially in the NFL. Joining us right now with more on the ripple effects of the lawsuit is Jabari Young. He's sports business reporter for CNBC.com. Also, Patrick Reich, director of the sports business program at Washington University. Uh, good morning to both of you. Uh, Jabari, let's just talk about the sort of larger implications of this, you think, to the NFL and the power of this lawsuit. Well, good morning, Andrew. And listen, it's an impactful lawsuit. You know, Brian Flores, you know, showed a is a bold move, courageous move, because, you know, he may not ever get a job in the NFL again. But should you find more coaches join this class action? Remember, it's a class action complaint. So the NFL has to respond. And, you know, we'll see what they say about the, the fact that they don't think that there was any wrongdoing. But that that's the legal process. But if you get more coaches to join into this and you get more evidence that there was some discrimination and this gets to the court system, then you start talking about possibly going into the NFL's owner's money. Because let's say it's a billion dollar payout now to black coaches who felt like they were discriminated against now you're talking revenue right now you're talking going into their pockets maybe that affects change but at the same time this is the stage one of a very long fight it can get to a point where you know you start to see more coaches join in and if that's the case that could mean trouble for the nfl patrick of course the nfl put in place what they're calling the rooney rule close to 20 years ago and that's in part what he is suggesting was the reason he was even given this interview and it was and he's arguing it was a sham interview how do you think about this, and does this, does this change the dynamic? Well, Andrew, uh, there has been plenty of instances where this has happened since the Rooney Rule was instituted. Unfortunately, there have been other coaches who have felt that it was just a token interview, and, and that's the problem. I am very troubled, even more troubled with this claim with the Dolphins, that if the owner of the Dolphins was trying to, in essence, bribe Brian Flores to lose games, this has competitive issues that I think the league is going to strongly penalize. But 
Uh, going back to Jabari's point, one interesting thing is I, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that by having the courage to come forward, and because there are plenty of teams and individuals in the league that have shown a tendency to hire minority coaches, positional coaches, coordinators, that this is actually, I think, going to embolden Brian Flores, and I do think he will coach in the NFL again. Um, going back to this issue of Stephen Ross, though, because that you're, you're right that that's a that's a big claim. In, in addition, obviously, to, to the issue of racial discrimination, do you see his ownership of the Dolphins in jeopardy as a f- result of this? You know, uh, Andrew, I don't. But what I do see is the NFL is likely, obviously, going to investigate all three of these cases and teams. But in the case of the Dolphins and the Giants, what the NFL could do in their playbook is either uh, fine with cash or fine with draft picks. This is typically what happens. Uh, One other thing I want to say about this is obviously with only one current black coach out of 27 teams that currently have coaches, you have five openings that are still out there. I think the timing of this lawsuit actually could help some of the minority candidates in this particular cycle that that if there is a a close race between a white and a black candidate, right or wrong, I think that this actually may, because it's bringing this to the light, may help some of these minority candidates, whether it's Brian Leftwich of the Buccaneers or some of the defensive coordinators like Raheem Morris. I think they've got a, sh- a better right, shot. But, but, but Professor, I, th- I think we I think we assume that. Right. I think we assume that it might help them. But I think this, this is a more of a, of a systemic issue. Because when you talk about, you know, they may help them this cycle, yeah. But what about the the rest of the cycles? What about the cycles beyond this year, the cycles of 10 years from now? I think this would this possible lawsuit can really change the thinking of owners and how they approach it if you go into their pocketbooks. So though it may help people this time, I'm not sure if if it if it if it answers the issue that Brian Flores has brought up. And that is this is a sham. The thing, the Rooney rule. Yes, I think it was the NFL is acknowledging that they have a problem by even installing the Rooney rule. But at the same time, like this is a more systemic issue. How do you change? the thinking of the people who are doing the hiring, which is the owners. And we obviously know the only thing that gets them to tick, these are businessmen, is money, okay? What got them to bend over in St. Louis, a $790 million lawsuit? What got them to Jerry Jones to kneel, okay? Money coming out of their pockets when the players took took a stand. So maybe this changes things and maybe it helps them, but it's not about just this cycle. It's about something deeper than that. And we'll see if this lawsuit helps that. Patrick? Absolutely. I I think it will. And and another interesting thing, Jabari, when we look at the Jabari and Andrew, when we look at these numbers, we look at these coaching numbers. It's interesting to note that if you look at all coaches in football, roughly 36 percent of all coaches, positional coordinators, head coaches are black. But it's there's a there is a tilt. So it's not so much a pipeline issue. There's a tilt on the defensive side of the ball. You actually have more defensive assistants who are black than white. But what's happening in the NFL is you don't have as many offensive coordinators and offensive assistants who are black. And that's where a lot of these teams are hiring their coaches. Look at the Super Bowl in two weeks. You have these two young coaches, but they came from the offensive side of the ball. I think that's where the pipeline issue is. And perhaps a bigger source of, of bias is on the offensive side of the ball. And, and it, it goes beyond coaches, though, right? I hate the argument that it just—it's just coaches. It's—it's it's executives, right? The CEOs well, sure. of the team. They—these are the people who have the heirs of the owners. So if you have a black CEO, perhaps he can convince an owner who may not be exposed to as many black black people, right? Let's keep it real. So at the same time, if you have a black CEO, perhaps he can have that message. Listen, Jason Wright is about to announce a new team. He's the first black team president. I mean, it, it's—it's it's just question. not coaches. It's a bigger issue. 
And you're right. To that point, Jabari and Andrew, because there's such a small percentage of either CEOs on the business side or GMs on the football operations side who are black, that's exactly the point. Patrick and Jabari, we want to thank you for the conversation. It's an important one. Uh, It's important for what's happening inside the NFL, but perhaps even larger going to have implications for maybe the way corporate America thinks about hiring. Uh, In addition, a lot of corporations have taken on the Rooney rule uh, themselves. Uh, Perhaps there, there are sham interviews happening there. I'm sure there are folks looking at this and thinking about that this morning. Thanks so much, guys. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, the other big controversy nabbing headlines this week. Spotify, platform or publisher? Well, its $100 million check to Joe Rogan might have already decided that. Journalist and Yale lecturer, Joanne Lippman. Anybody who's publishing, who's putting out content, it would be insane, it would be ludicrous for us to suggest that we're going to pay this huge premium for content that will be our billboard content. But then on the other hand, we're gonna say, well, really, don't have any responsibility for what they say. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Squawk Pod today with Becky Quick and Andrew Ross Orkin. Here's Becky. Spotify fallout continues. Graham Nash following his former bandmate Neil Young and removing music from the platform. India Ari also posting on Instagram yesterday that she's pulling her music from Spotify after Joe Rogan's comments on race. After dropping at the end of last week, the stock has since rebounded. But joining us right now to talk more about it is Joanne Lippman. She's Yale University lecturer and a CNBC contributor. And she's out with a new op-ed about Spotify in time. Um, Joanne, Spotify has uh, kind of made the argument that this is a free speech issue. You say that that is um, not something that really stands up at all. Uh, absolutely. First of all, thank you, Becky. Um, Spotify is a much bigger program, uh, problem than Joe Rogan at this point. And the, the reason is that it is trying to fall back on this sort of free speech issue Uh, Daniel Eck came out and he said, you know, we don't want to be content censors. Um, But the fact is that they are not content censors. Nobody is asking them to be content censors. This is a total straw man argument. People are basically saying if you're publishing misinformation, you need to be responsible for it. Uh, So, no, it's not a free speech issue at all. I think the, the real problem that we come down to is what is Spotify? And this is a problem that goes well beyond Joe Rogan, right? It's positioning itself uh, by suggesting that it is some sort of neutral platform. We have creators. We want them to have creative um, freedom. 
uh, and and therefore, you know, we're sort of hands off, right? Uh, but in fact, when you look in the Joe Rogan situation, as we all know, they paid him a reported $100 million uh, to have that content. So they have aligned themselves. They're paying for the content. There's really no daylight between Spotify, Joe Rogan. They are one. And this is where they really, really get into trouble. They are not some sort of neutral platform. They're not some sort of phone line. Uh, and the reason that I wrote the op-ed in Time, uh, Time had approached me and they said, look, you've been an editor-in-chief at a number of places. Um, if you're paying for content, uh, what is your position? And, and the, the fact is that anybody in our business, Becky, anybody who's publishing, who's putting out content, it would be insane. It would be ludicrous for us to suggest that we're going to pay this huge premium for content that will be our billboard content. But then on the other hand, we're going to say, well, really don't have any responsibility for right. I mean, what they say. This is very different than we're just a billboard or we are just a posting service. They, they have all kinds of podcasts that they allow to be put up. This is like Facebook, where people can post whatever content they want. They're not getting paid for it. But if you're paying somebody $100 million, very different story. I mean, this is why you see the controversy for somebody like Whoopi Goldberg and the comments she made um, about the Holocaust recently, that they're in big trouble because they're paying her to make these comments. That's why she's been taken off the air for two weeks. Exactly, exactly. That's such a perfect analogy, Becky, because they're paying her, she's representing them. And by the way, the reason that I think this goes even beyond Spotify is because if you look at these other platforms that have always said, well, we are just the conduit for people to, to communicate, right? Facebook, Snapchat, TikTok, Instagram, all of them have started in one way or another also paying for content creators. And that, again, you know, this hasn't been tested in the courts. This really hasn't been um, navigated in a way that we really, really need to address because these, there is now this sort of creep where these supposedly neutral platforms are now really getting into content, paying for content um, and publishing content, which is a whole different ball game than simply being a neutral conduit like a phone wire. Joanne, I don't disagree with you, but I think that there's a complicating factor here, and I don't know how to think about it, which is that there's two things happening on Spotify. One is that they're paying Joe Rogan for his podcast and effectively are the broadcaster in that respect. They're also then licensing content from musicians uh, and record labels all over the world. And if you listen to that music, and now we get into maybe a First Amendment issue, I don't know how you want to think about it. You know, I don't know how many of those songs are either explicit or say things that are, I mean, I can't even fathom half the things that are said today in, in, some, in some songs. Where is the responsibility yeah. lie if that's going to be the case? And if you're going to allow for that kind of, um, dare I say, creativity in, in terms of some of those, in terms of some of that music, does that then extend in a different way? to this podcasting situation? Yeah, Andrew, this is such a great question. And it goes to the other point that I thought I, that I really wanted to make in this, in this time piece, which is that it sheds a light. And this is another reason why this is much bigger than Rogan, because it sheds a light on the other content that is on Spotify. And some of it is, as you talk about this objectionable music and they're licensing uh, that content, some of it is with other podcasts, but if you look into it, and a number of journalists now have been sort of digging into, into Spotify, 
And it gets really ugly really fast. Let me make it more complicated for you. Apple, a company that I think has a, a, a halo around it, obviously runs a podcasting platform. Now, they're not uh, broadcast. They're not paying for the podcast in the same way or Apple Music. I mean, go down the line. And what then the question becomes, are you the platform or not? And this becomes a, that's why I'm saying there are people who will make the argument, of course, that it's a slippery slope. And I and the question is, where is the line? Yeah, great question. It is a slippery slope. And I don't think we have figured out where the line is, which is the entire point here, right? Which is these um, uh, platforms that started out essentially saying we're nothing more than a phone wire um, have increasingly gotten into content, either content creators licensing content, paying for content creators. And we have not kept up in terms of how do we view them? How do we regulate them? What category are they even in? And that's why I say that this, this whole issue with Spotify, it's way bigger than Joe Rogan. It's just opening this can of worms that we really do need to address. Yeah, it's a it's a long time overdue looking back because I think this original decision goes back to like CompuServe when they were literally talking about online bulletin boards and it's back in the 1980s, 83 or 84. Um, obviously, media has changed enormously. Technology has changed enormously. And it is something that's probably long overdue for Congress to, to take a look at some of this stuff. Um, anyway, Joanne, thank you. It's great to see you this morning. Great to see you. Thanks a lot. Okay, take care. By the way, Andrew, I just want to mention CompuServe and that lawsuit. It wasn't 1983 or four. It was 1991. I just looked it up. Cubby versus CompuServe. I can't believe it was 1991. I thought it was even longer ago than that. But it does tell you that you're going back more than 30 years to when these decisions were being made. And just think about how technology has changed since then. Right. How, how you're we talking get about the issue of a, platf a platform and who's responsible right. it was, for you know, Their argument was they right. couldn't be held liable for anything that was posted because they weren't doing anything to, to right. kind of scan or see anything that was being posted. They were literally just an online bulletin board. They won that case. Uh, but clearly, the situation you're in today is very different, where you're paying somebody to put that content up. You're much more of a publisher. You're much more are responsible for what they say. That's the show for today. Thank you for listening and for sticking with us today and probably the rest of winter. Stupid groundhog. Cheers. Cheers to winter. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern to hear them all together. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, listen and follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. And we are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.